Welcome to the Nursing and Midwifery Emporium podcast, a podcast about this nursing life. I'm Nicole Nash-Arnold from Nurse Manager HQ. And I'm Sue Walker from the Nursing CPD Institute. And together each week, we seek out interesting people to discover what a red-hot nursing life looks like. Today, I welcome to this nursing life microphone, Dr. Wendy McIntosh. Wendy is the creator and director of DeVar Consultancy. DeVar Consultancy develops and delivers training that provides information and strategies on maintaining psychological well-being in the workplace. They offer workshops, group and individual professional supervision, and training for health professionals, nurses, police, and community workers. The programs focus on professional boundaries, mental health, professional ethics, and identity and self-care, and are designed for those in the health professions, police, and community work, and other support roles. Wendy is a registered nurse and has over 30 years as a healthcare professional, working in the areas of clinical education and research. 25 of those years in mental health. So welcome to the microphone, Wendy. Well, thank you very much, Sue. A delight to be here. As always. As always. <laughs> Wendy, I'm always interested in how nurses decide to make the move to create their own business. Tell me how DeVar Consultancy got started. Well, I think by accident and also a notion in my head that said, why not? And the genesis for it, Sue, was I was an educator at the time in, in a hospital I was working in and had started to develop and deliver workshops and professional boundaries, amongst other things. And I guess I got a bit hooked on being an educator. I, I got hooked on the excitement of seeing people come alive in, in ideas and discussion. And at that time, so I'm talking way back 2005, there was a real gap, uh, certainly in health education, around the area of professional boundaries. So I thought, why not take this idea? It's clearly something that people are interested in. There's, there's not enough of it around. And so professional boundaries was, I guess, a stepping stone into the other areas that we've developed off the business over the years. I love the way that you just said, yep, and jumped. <laughs> yeah. People that know me would say that's, that's how it works. You know, in Scotland, someone came back from Australia and said, Australia is a really neat country to live and work in. And I went, oh, yeah, why not? <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and created the move to Australia, which took two years. So it was a why not that was on the boil for a wee while for me. Um, but yeah, it, I don't always jump in, but most of what's got me to where I'm at in life just now is because I've jumped in. Yeah. Which is fabulous. So now it's 2020. So 15 yeah. years. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just reflecting on the work today, um, Sue, and thinking, gosh, what an opportunity that I've had to meet with people, not just around Australia but also internationally and in conferences I've attended or workshops I've delivered overseas. And to me, the work that I do is just a constant giving back to me. So I'm, I'm always growing 
in this work. Um, every workshop that I go to, uh, I come away energized with a different idea or something else that I can integrate into the next workshop. So I, I just always am very alive in this work, um, which is just a delight for me. Yeah. Fabulous. Now, Wendy, as you identified just before, mm. you have done a lot of work in the area of professional boundaries. Mm. Could you share some insights and strategies about developing and maintaining professional boundaries? One of the things I like to say is professional boundaries are as simple as they're complex. So the simplicity is there's a professional line and it's up to the professional to hold that line with the client. The complexity is the grayness of human relationships. And so the line of work that we're in kind of determines the professional boundary that's required and the context that we that we work in. There are so many variables that come to play that shape and determine what that professional relationship looks like. So in terms of strategies, a really useful strategy and what I would say is the number one is to always consider why did I do that? And how come I did it with that client and none of the others that I've seen today? What is it about this relationship um, that is making me a little less thoughtful about my actions? So it's really a, a line of inquiry, I think, that has to be ever-present in us in terms of professional boundaries. Always questioning, how come I said and did that with this client at this time? What is going on for me here? Um, and always to, um, I think, seek counsel from people that we trust, especially for practitioners, I think, that live and work in rural and remote areas or they're what we would call isolated practitioners. Um, these are the folks that are really at risk of boundary transgressions because they rely more on their own kind of moral compass um, but boundaries really requires us to be always engaging with colleagues um, with um, experienced others, always checking in. It's an ongoing line of inquiry, Sue, for ourselves. Yeah. So, Wendy, it's not about being necessarily professionally stuffy, but it's mm -hmm. about being friendly but not the friend. Yeah. The, the, How does that work? The, yeah. Um, that's a complexity. I like a term that the Queensland Police use, and that's professional friendliness. So how do we present as friendly and be really genuine and warm in that relationship, but keep a personal distance? And I think that's the technical side of professional boundaries, that we're professionally close, but personally distant. Um, so, and that does, again, requires just to be very mindful, you know, how, how am I holding myself in my body here? If I was to roll reverse with that other person, how might they view that gesture, that tone of voice, that word? Will they see me as professional or will they think that I'm wanting to be their friend? Um, yes. Yeah. A very interesting area. And certainly I know you have done a lot of work and you continue to work uh, within that space, offering great education in that space. Mm, yeah. Um, and look, I think a common, consistent feedback that we get from the workshops or the one to one work is that people had not realized 
how complex boundaries were. People talk about having a notion, an idea about what professional boundaries were, but not the depth of inquiry that's required for professional boundaries. And I think one of the interesting areas that I go into with people is to consider the systemic influences that are out there. So I'll I'll get them maybe to role reverse with the board of the Nursing Midwifery Council of Australia. Sorry, the Nursing Midwifery Board of Australia. So I might get them to do an exercise where they role reverse with the chairperson and then to look in on their action and their intervention with a client and they go, oh, (laughs) oh my goodness. So that's why APRA might be interested in me. Yes. (laughs) And one of the interesting things, Sue, is that boundary transgressions can occur in acts of kindness. I think another idea that people have, um, especially when we use the word violation, is that it must have been a really dastardly act or it must have been an awful act. People tend to think on the bad acts. But in fact, boundary violations can occur from acts of kindness as well. And I think that really surprises people. And when you say acts of kindness, because mm. when you do like, what you do for one client, you have to be able to do for all. So if I go and do the shopping for Mary, yes. I need to be able to shop for the other 23 people. Yes, that's right. I mean, that that's such a good example. Or cooking meals is another easy act of kindness that happens, especially, for example, for elderly clients or, or lonely clients. Yeah, if you're going to do it for Mary, you have to do it for the other 23. And that's exhausting. <laughs> How do you make the decision? Like, yeah. you know, you might feel sorry for Mary because she's got horrendous family and no one cares for her. So you want to celebrate her birthday and, you know, you think it would be a nice thing to, you know, take her for a drive on Saturday. What would that hurt? That's right. But unless you can pile 23 of them in the car, you're not taking Mary because that's not a professional nursing relationship. That, that's right. And and I always say to people, there are, there are four essential boundary questions to ask yourself. So the first one is, what was the intent or the purpose of my act? And generally, the first default will always be, I did that for the client. And, you know, that's, that's a truth. And then I'll say to people, well, I now want you to imagine you've got a little Wendy woodpecker on your shoulder and I want you to peck down through the layers and really consider the next three questions. So the next question is, um, whose needs were being met by you cooking Mary a meal? And again, the default will be, well, it was about Mary because she was lonely. Um, because she hadn't enough money to buy her food. And then the next question will be, um, so were there other options that you could have taken in terms of what you did? And I'll say to them, there will always be a minimal of five options. And the really important question is, what stopped you taking another option? Which then winds us back to the second question, whose needs were being met? And usually little Wendy Woodpecker comes to another level of truth that says, it was about me. I didn't want Mary to feel lonely. 
I wanted to feel better because I thought I was helping Mary. And that's the boundary transgression where our needs overtake the needs and the expectations of the client. What a clever person Wendy Woodpecker is. <laughs> Wendy Woodpecker has been pecking at trees for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Wendy, I know the other area of work you're involved in is professional supervision. Yes. So supervision is well understood in the mental health sector, mm. gaining a bit of traction in other areas of healthcare delivery. Mm. Can you explain about professional supervision and the benefits to the individual and the, you know, the wider profession? So professional supervision is a place a relationship that we go to and that we develop um, with a trusted other. And that's important. The relationship between the supervisee and the supervisor has to be one of trust. And usually supervisees figure out, you know, in that first session whether or not the relationship will work for them. It's a place where an individual or a group can go to talk about clinical situations that are causing them distress, alarm, confusion, conflict. Um, And the supervisor will take people through the process of inquiry about what is it about this situation that is causing the distress in them. Um, Again, lots of reflective questions to try and assist the supervisee individually or in the group come to the core of what the distress is for them. Supervisors will usually have a range of frameworks or models that they can draw upon um, to also then help people process the material that's kind of coming up for them. Um, So I use a lot of psychodynamic frameworks coming from trans actual analysis or transference, counter-transference. These are really common frameworks within mental health. They're well tested and tried. And generally, when I use such a framework, people get the aha or the light bulb moment. Um, Supervision has to be confidential, and whether that's one-to-one or in a group, Usually in a group situation, I'll say to folks, look, if there's something that emerges here, there is an ethical concern, there is a concern around safety for the client and our staff, then we'll have to come to decision at the end of the session about how the group moves forward. But it's up to the group to do something about this. It's not about me. Uh, my job is to facilitate the process within the group. and. Um, And generally, then it will be up to the group or a representative from the group to take their concern to management, framed in a way that the group has come up with, to look at the scenario with management and hopefully to come to some resolution. So do you find that the majority of your work now is with groups or do you still have a a client base of individual practitioners coming to you? The folks that I see now for supervision, I've probably been travelling with them for a while, Sue. So some of the groups that I work with, I've been travelling with them probably for about 10 years with group supervision now. So that's monthly. Mm -hmm. Um, And the individuals I've seen, um, some of them I've been travelling with for many years. Some are reasonably new. I guess people link in with me if I've done an, a workshop in their organisation and maybe they like 
what I'm doing. They like the experiential process of psychodrama uh, that I use a lot. Um, or they're familiar with some of the models, so they go, aha, I choose you. And usually people that identify supervision for themselves are already reflective practitioners, Sue, so they're already on that journey anyway. I'd say they're quite courageous because they're willing to really look at themselves and understand that supervision is not always going to be about nice me, but because supervision is about challenging people, that there might be some truths that come up in them in the supervision sessions that's uncomfortable. So people that come to supervision are already well in that process of reflective practitioners. So. Wendy, you mentioned psychodrama I did. in your work. And I'm intrigued by that. Tell me what psychodrama is. Now, how long do we have here? Uh, oh, look, we've got weeks. <laughs> Everyone's happy. Let me just go, okay, well, let me give you an easy answer. Psychodrama is the theatre of spontaneity or the theatre of truth. Um, that will not assist you at all. So let me elaborate. Uh, Jacob Marino, who developed psychodrama way back in the 1930s, um, talked about using acting and acting out as a way to tell the story from within that could not be told by words alone. So he was a psychiatrist. Uh, he didn't like what he saw happening in psychiatry at the time, and he developed this methodology of using drama to assist people deal with internal conflicts and to try and work through the kind of mental illness presentations that they had at the time. So he developed the first therapeutic community in psychiatry. So is it acting out your emotions or your thoughts? Emotions, thoughts, internal conflicts within the self conflicts that one has with another human being, conflicts within a group. Um, so it was developed as a group process. And I use it individually and, and in group. I certainly use bits of it in all the work that I do with people. One of the strongest tools or interventions is a process called role reversal. And that's where literally we put ourselves into the shoes of the other person and we are that other person. So we take up their mannerisms, we take up how they hold their body, we try and get as close to the tone of voice that they use. And as we roll reverse between ourselves and the other person, generally we start to get insights into how we're presenting to that other person. So we get the opportunity to change our tone of voice, to unfold our arms, to think about the words that we're using because we see how our words really resonate in the face and the body of the other person. So we start to change um, what we're doing. And it's a very powerful intervention, for example, in the professional bound workshops that I do, because people really see then where they transgress the relationship that they have with the other person. So that act of kindness, when they then get into the shoes of the client, for example, Mary, and Mary says, you know what, I don't want you to cook 
my meals. I actually want you to be a really good nurse. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I really need you to really concentrate on being a nurse and being objective. That's what I want. The meals are lovely, but when you're cooking me meals, you're not being my nurse. And then the person goes, wow, okay, I thought I was being a kind nurse. However, Mary's actually missing out on the clinical objective nurse, and that's what she needs right now. Very interesting. Now, Wendy, before we finish up today, yeah. Based on your work in all its gamut, yes. what is it that you wish all nurses knew so they can could live their best nursing life? Oh, gosh, that is a great question, Sue. I think be kind to yourself, be considerate to yourself and acknowledge the courageous acts that you do every day as a nurse. Wendy, thank you for being our guest at the Nursing and Midwifery Emporiums podcast today and sharing with us your nursing journey and your thoughts about professional boundaries as well as your broader work with DeVar Consultancy. My pleasure, Sue, as always. Lovely to talk with you and um, to be involved in this exciting process that, that you're doing in your work as well. Talk soon. See you, Sue. Bye now. Bye. Hello, Nicole. Hey, Sue. How are you? I'm fabulously well, thank you. Now, tell me, what did you think of the lovely Dr. Wendy McIntosh? Fabulous. And you know what I love the most? Wendy's alter ego, Wendy Woodpecker, is (laughs) sensational. I love that. Yeah, and who would not want a Wendy Woodpecker sitting on your shoulder, really? I think that image is not going to leave me for a long time and <laughs> Wendy Woodpecker will be on my shoulder in future interactions. <laughs> which is a good thing, which is a very good thing. Well, she brought the whole thing so um, to life. Like yeah. I've, you, you sort of have that vague, I mean, not a vague concept, but it's in that prof- concept of professional boundaries is in your head, but she really made it quite tangible. She did and simply explained like, Uh, professional boundaries is being professionally close but personally distant. I thought that was gold. Yep, me too. And, I mean, that just explains it all. That just explains Mm. who you are and what you're going to do and the relationship you need to have. Does different personalities find that line quite difficult, I think. Some people are too professionally close because, I mean, half the nursing population is very reliant on that interpersonal connection and that emotional way of caring, whereas on the other end of the continuum are those that are distant both personally and professionally and, you know, they're to work in that very linear task-oriented way and that's not really what you want either. So I thought that was good for both ends of that continuum. No, I did too. I thought it was well explained. And the other issue that that was she made easily understandable was that it's not about the you know dastardly acts like we always think about violence or you know sexual coercion or you know misappropriation of drugs or whatever that is but it's it's not the dastardly acts it's the acts that occur out of kindness 
that was mind blowing for me because you sort of another thing that you intuitively know but don't give a lot of thought to. But of course, that's exactly where I imagine a vast number of those boundary transgressions actually occur in that people have just gone way too far. And just trying to be nice in the example of of Mary, you know, the example that she mm. gave of cooking a meal for Mary or we were taking Mary out or and it was all done out of kindness. It was all done out of being kind to Mary, but indeed it was a boundary transgression. Weren't her four questions brilliant? They were, they were. I liked the way and that's when she brought Wendy Woodpecker in. So mm. when she explained it and she was saying, well, the first question is what was the intent? And that was all about because you wanted to help Mary. And then Wendy Woodpecker would say to you, well, whose needs were being met? And you would say, well, Mary's, of course, you know, she got a meal. And then the third question was, you know, were there any other options you could have taken? And there's usually Mm. five of them. And when we were talking uh, before Nick, you know, we were talking about are there meals on wheels? You know, could she got live mm. and easy? Is there a daughter that could have cooked for her? You know, there are exactly. other options there. And then the cincher question was, well, what stopped you from taking one of those options? That was the mind blowing part for me because she was walking through those questions and the the Mary scenario. I'm like, yeah, you intuitively know that it's all about her. But when she said these were the options, well, what stopped you taking those? You can just see how people would go because actually it's about me and I wanted to be the martyr or the matriarch or the rescuer or the great person or, you know, the million reasons, but it's so clear all of a sudden that while it helped Mary, it actually wasn't about Mary. No, it wasn't. And, you know, Mary could have reminded you of your grandmother or, you know, know, and you, you know, you, you thought her family were awful people and you wanted Mary to have some warmth and love in her life. And a registered nurse is there for clinical competence, not to provide mm. love to someone who has a bad family. I think Wendy Wood- Woodpecker's four questions gives nurse managers are out there who struggle with this a little bit where you've got a staff member who's towing that line of professional boundaries that is professionally close and personally close. A really good way of it's hard to sit down and go, that's a bit off, you know. That yeah, you, you know just it's think, off. No, you know it's off. I know yeah. it's off. I can't really explain to you why it's off. And so then it's easy for that person to go, that's just who I am. I'm a nurse. I came here to. I care. Um, yes, exactly. And I want the best for my patient. And it's hard to navigate that conversation. But of course, if you can only give it to one, then you need to give it to all of your patients and it's not right. And this gives a nurse manager out there a really good way of navigating that to say it is a bit off. That's not right. That's true. And your colleagues, like, you know, when you're having that discussion, you do see it all the time. You know, you see it that someone might bring in something for, you know, the the young girl on the surgical ward because, you know, she's concerned for her that she might be bored or whatever, so she's bought in her Dolly magazine from home for her. I don't mm. know. Is Dolly even still a publication? Mm. I don't know, but it was when I was a teenager, so surely it must be oh, now. Oh, certainly. They have to be. They couldn't mm. get rid of something. It's just a moment ago, yeah. my teenage years. They, they could not have got rid of something so fabulous, surely. But whatever magazine is still published these days in a, in a paper format, which would only be a few, I would imagine. But if you're going to bring them in, then unless you're bringing them in for everyone in that unit, 
then you've overstepped your mark with that kid. Yeah, I think so too. And it's a small thing, but it opens the door to blurry boundaries. It is a diet of the mind that burnt boundaries. And if you have a propensity to act in terms of the boundary transgression in the kindness realm, then it's a really easy door to just, but this is what I always do. And this is what I tell I look after my patients. And, but it's actually only how you look after some of them. And the hairy, smelly, homeless bloke, he doesn't get the best of well. No, exactly. Yeah. And that's where I think when we bought at home, when she said like, what Mary needed of the therapeutic relationship with that nurse was she needed the clinical expertise of that person who was being paid to be the nurse. Mm. Like she can she can pay someone else to be a cook. Yes. But the relationship was the only reason you were in a relationship with Mary was because of your clinical nursing expertise. Yeah. So, no, I think it was fabulous and those four questions will stay with me forever. I thought a role reversal concept was amazing. You know, how it, when you role reverse, then you get to see someone else's act out your gestures, word, engagements, yes. you know, language choices, general sort of disposition. And it was interesting because clearly when she's done that with lots of nurses, they've had a real like, oh, that is weird, you know, or off or I'm getting that too now. far. Yeah, or, I'm getting why mm, people would think that now. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, this Wendy's been doing this for 25 years. I think it's fabulous that what what was the word she used? She still absolutely loves it. She uh, yeah. she used the word that she finds it just a delight. I know. I loved how she said early in her career when she moved into an educator role, she just got hooked. Yeah. And don't you wish that for every nurse in the world that they continue to have that feeling where they're just hooked on something. They just love it. I know. And that's and if, that it, if it gives too. you joy, well, what a fabulous world to be in. Mm. Now, the other thing that Wendy does with her business, which is Devar Consultancy, she does provide supervision. And we did have a bit of a chat about supervision. It's well recognised within psychiatric nursing and starting mm. to be looked at within other realms of health services. And she, and she does a lot of that work and has, as she rightfully said, has been working with clients for, you know, 10 or more years. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know a lot about it because never really worked in the mental health space. And as she was describing it, I thought, oh, so we do that quite a lot, but very, very informally without the structure at all that she was referring to. But like I know when I was running the emergency department and you'd be in the nurse's station, there'd be the nursing station chat about the latest incident that had happened or the patient that really reverberated through the team for whatever reason. It was sad or it was distressing or an arrest that didn't go well or an arrest that really went well or, you know, there was something that was noteworthy and a topic of discussion. And so informally, you would find yourself in that group professional supervision. And when I think back now, if we had formalised that in the way that Wendy had talked about it, it would have been so beneficial because so much came out of those sessions. But because there was no structure around it, it really was just that which was a chat. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that would be amazing to roll it out to not just mental health, but across the whole sort of nursing and midwifery sphere. Exactly right. And it is a therapeutic way to reflect on, you know, how you work Mm. and to contemplate how you interact and how those things are seen. So, no, it's an interesting discussion. It was Mm. an interesting discussion. We we might have to get her back. 
just to talk about supervision. I think we should. I'd like to know heaps more about it because I'm infinitely regretful in my years of being a clinician, but also being nurse manager that I didn't have the skills and knowledge to offer that to my team. And even at rests, we always do the debrief. But I think having someone have the skills to facilitate that in that way would be so good and such a healthy way of managing what can you, the nature of nursing and midwifery is that you have to deal with moral distress and trauma quite a lot. And you can't just have a cry on the way home and have a chat to your husband when you get home. Like, that's just not enough. No. So I think that would be great. No, yeah, I think it would be too. Let's, I'll work on that. Yeah, you've got homework on this one, sister. Just just what we need, a little bit of homework. And lastly, (laughs) with the gorgeous Wendy, was what she wishes for all nurses. And, you know, it was just lovely that be kind to yourself. Like, you work in difficult times. Like, be kind to yourself. Yeah. And it's not always easy to get it right. And we beat ourselves up about it, I think. And so you just live and let you live inside your own soul, I think. I thought that was beautiful, her be kind to yourself. Oh, I thought it was too. Well, Mm. Nicole... That was Wendy, Dr. Wendy McIntosh from Devar Consulting, and I look forward to catching up again with you soon. Fare thee well. See you soon. Fare thee well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Nursing and Midwifery Emporium. Make sure you visit us at the website www.nmemporium.com to subscribe to the podcast. And if you'd like to put someone forward for us to interview, go to the same website and just click on the button. See you guys. Take care. Bye.